happy August 22nd to all y'all. It is the show that shakes the Southland back on the air and back on podcast form across the Southeast and beyond. John Rawl is my name, and I am the general of all things Southern, and you have locked into your radio and podcast dial, The Y'all Show, powered by y'all.com, the South's homepage. Got a busy, busy Tuesday Y'all Show coming your way. We've got all the news headlines, including Trump setting a bond, and I need to find out who are the available bondsmen in Atlanta as Trump's expected to surrender Thursday at the Fulton County Jail. We'll have info on that, the big story from Monday. Also, there is a tropical storm that has formed in the Gulf, and it's headed toward Texas. We'll let you know about Harold and our headlines across the southeast today. Plus, in South Carolina, a six-year-old has saved their younger sister from drowning. A feel-good story coming out of the Palmetto State that we'll share with you. Plus, have y'all heard about Judge Glenda Hatchett? She's got her own TV show. Well, she's in the news because a Georgia sheriff has now resigned from his position in Georgia because at a recent law enforcement convention, he groped TV Judge Hatchett. And it's kind of a bizarre thing to tell you about, but I'm going to let you know the headline coming out of Georgia on this and more about Glenda Hatchett, who's got that daytime syndicated TV show that you have probably seen her rule. I wonder if she's going to be ruling on the Trump case here in the next few days there in the state of Georgia. Also in our headlines today across the Southeast, how about Metallica? Yeah, the Rock and Rollers making a donation in North Texas as they're helping out a food bank. I'll give you the updates on that. Plus, at a public store, you can't go in and get a hurricane cake anymore. They're being sensitive to all the hurricanes that have come through Florida. And so there's something called a hurricane cake. I've never had one. But public says you're not going to make them in here anymore. We'll give you the update on that out of the Sunshine State. Plus today in our headlines, we've got a TikTok challenge in Georgia ends up causing this, this the, disruption, the, the disruption, there we go, of a high school football game. TikTok taking over where football should be played in the state of Georgia. All that is part of our news headlines today. Then we have coming your way a preview of some of the sports headlines of this Tuesday. In- included in that is Greg Sankey, commissioner of the Southeastern Conference. He's out talking to Chris Lowe of ESPN.com that the college football playoff must be reconsidered among realignment as we've got teams leaving the Pac-12 headed to the Big Ten, teams from the Pac-12 headed to the Big 12, and the SEC sitting there thinking, hmm, are we going to add more teams as well? Well, Greg Sankey now voicing his concerns about the college football playoff. All that's coming up in our sports headlines. Plus, speaking of Sankey's SEC, we've got the betting odds for who's the likely winner of the SEC in 2023. If you've got a few extra dollars, you might want to put it on them dogs. They're the best odds favorite across the spectrum for the the betting folks. And guess what? College football starts Saturday. And Georgia, Alabama, your usual favorites right there amongst the top teams in the SEC. But we've got the odds for all the odds makers And this is probably pretty accurate of how the SEC is going to wrap up the season after the games are played. From 1 to 14, it's your SEC odds, and it's coming up on today's sports report. Plus, 
Monday, we had some NFL preseason action, and the NFL franchise based in our nation's capital ended the Baltimore Ravens' incredible 24-game preseason win streak. An amazing feat by the team out of Baltimore, and we'll give you info on the game-winning kick that sealed a win for the Redskin Commanders. That's coming up here on today's Sports Report. Plus, we'll also let you know about a longtime NFL player from the state of Maryland who's just decided to hang up his cleats. Brandon Copeland will explain where he's looking to what he's looking to do next here. Plus, info out of Ann Arbor as Michigan's head coach Jim Harbaugh is going to have a self-imposed three-game ban. All that coming up in our sports headlines today. We also have coming up in here in hour number one a Southern political report. Asia Hutchinson, the former governor of Arkansas and longtime U.S. senator from the natural state, says that he's qualified for the Republican debate, which is on Wednesday in Milwaukee. We'll give you the latest out of the Hutchinson campaign. All that and other headlines across the political front from the South. Hour number two today, we've got, in addition to our news headlines, a Southern book report, and we decided to give a little Southern history some love in our book report today. And so we ended up finding a book that not only is it, is it historic, I think it's, for some of us, a little humorous. Nancy Eisenberg, several years back, wrote the book White Trash. And today it's all about white trash as we tell you a little bit more about her book and we hear her talking about white trash. Oh, yeah. Get ready for white trash talk coming up, courtesy of the Southern History and Southern Book Spotlight in hour number two. Also in our second hour today, could you believe this headline? Dolly Parton teams up with Ringo Starr and Paul McCartney, and those three have a brand new single called Let It Be, the old Beatles song, and Dolly's putting this out to radio. We've got a copy of it, and we're going to play some of Let It Be from Dolly, Ringo, and Paul in our entertainment report, plus Brittany Spears talking more about her just-announced divorce. We'll give you the scoop on that and other entertainment headlines coming up in hour number two. Hour number three today, oh, it's going to be great. We've got our Takapolo storyteller, Jerry Short, and he's going to be telling us a little bit about the comparison between 1968's presidential campaign and 2024 the campaign going on right now. There are comparisons. One thing, you got a Kennedy running just like you did back in 1968. And then you've got some real uncertainty about the sitting president of the United States. So Jerry will be dropping by the Takapola Storyteller and that report coming up in our final hour. Plus, as we get ready to head on to the house today in our final hour, We've got a spotlight as we are on this college football tour across the southeast. Today, we're going to be in Tiger Town, just outside of the SO Club. We'll be right there at Death Valley, as today our college football tour takes us to Clemson University in Clemson, South Carolina. Get ready to run down that hill with Davo Sweeney and the Tigers of the ACC, your reigning ACC champions, and Clemson Football 2023 We'll talk about it big time in hour number three. Is Clemson going to get back to the mountaintop? Is Clemson going to get back to the college football playoff? A place they've been pretty accustomed to being, but not last year. It was a little bit of a tailspin at the tail end of the 2022 season for Sweeney's Paw Patrol. 
All that is coming up in our final hour of this, the Y'all Show. If you would like to get involved, you can drop us an email anytime. Our email address is mail at yall.com, mail at y'all.com. We also have a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week text line that you can reach us on, 615-208-4184. Good to be with you here. Let's get started with some of the news headlines of the day. And the big story nationwide is that President Trump has come up with some kind of agreement with the jailers, with the law enforcement officials of Fulton County, Georgia. And after being indicted last week, President Trump says he's now going to go to Atlanta Thursday. And in his social media post on Monday, he says, can you believe it? I'll be going to Atlanta, Georgia on Thursday to be, in all caps, A-R-R-E-S-T-E-D, arrested. Yeah, and that was after his bond set at $200,000. This will be the fourth time that President Trump has been arrested since April when he became the first former president in American history to face indictment. And the more the indictments come, the more his Republican election polling improves. And Trump expected Thursday to surrender right there in Atlanta. This will be hours after the Republican presidential debate goes on in Milwaukee on Wednesday. The announcement from the 45th president comes after his attorneys met with prosecutors in Atlanta to discuss the details of his release on bond. The former president is barred from intimidating co-defendants, witnesses, or victims in the case, including on social media, according to the bond agreement that Fonnie Willis signed the Fulton County DA. Trump's defense attorneys and the judge, it explicitly includes posts on social media or repost of posts made by others. Something tells me he's going to violate this at some point. And what are the repercussions? Is he going to have to come to Atlanta and sit in a jail cell for a while? Is he going to come to Atlanta and write a book called Letter from a Fulton County Jail? Kind of like MLK once did. Trump, who's used social media to attack people and criminal cases against him, I just don't see him keeping silent on this thing and 200,000 is the bond agreement and a couple of other people involved of the 19 total people have also come up with bond agreements with the Fulton County Sheriff's Office the Sheriff's Office said that there will be a hard lockdown when Trump surrenders there and it's got a nickname where it's located there in Atlanta this particular Fulton County Jail I don't think it's necessarily right on the tourist section of Atlanta, so don't probably go try to find it. It's likely in a not-so-good part of Atlanta, which a lot of you might be saying, well, tell me where there is a good part of Atlanta. (laughs) There's a few. There's a few still there in the Peach State, and it's capital city, but Trump now going to be back in Atlanta, but this time not holding a big rally. He's going to be arrested, as he says. News out of the tropics. Tropical Storm Harold is now formed in the Gulf of Mexico, and it's on a path for the very south section of Texas. Padre Island, Brownsville, the Rio Grande Valley is where this thing looks like it's headed. 
and it will make landfall at some point later on this Tuesday, it appears. The National Hurricane Center said that Harold formed early in the morning while in the central gulf and winds and heavy rain already beginning to spread over the Texas coast today. It is the eighth named storm so far in 2023 in the Atlantic and the first in the gulf since tropical storm Arlene back in early June. So we've gone a couple of months now, but Harold in the gulf on path for this section of Texas likely going to hit by midday on this Tuesday. And so we'll keep our eye on what happens here is again, this is going to be hitting the very extreme south section of the Lone Star State. At last check, Harold had sustained winds of 45 miles per hour. It's a minimal tropical storm, but tropical storm warnings already along the Texas coast from the Rio Grande's mouth to Port O'Connor in the Lone Star State. The Hurricane Center said three to five inches of rain expected with isolated higher amounts of seven inches across South Texas. Parts of Mexico could get six inches of rain in this tropical storm that's hitting the southeast today in very, very extreme South Texas. Also, as Harold has formed, we can tell you that Tropical Storm Franklin, which I didn't even know existed, but it looks like it has dissipated out off of the coast east of the Bahamas. It was a tropical storm that formed earlier in the week and looks like it's going to be heading not instead of the Florida Panhandle, but more south, uh, rather northeast in its direction coming out of the Bahamas and going to fade out in the Atlantic is what it's expected to do. And that's the only other storm going on right now in the country. So we'll keep our eye if anything changes there. We will let y'all know. To the Palmetto State, and a six-year-old is credited with saving the life of their younger sister. So a, a great story coming out of Blythewood, South Carolina, as the Casella family says their second youngest daughter was playing in the shallow end of a pool when she sank to the bottom without a splash. And luckily for 22-month-old Lila Casella, her older sister was playing with Barbie dolls nearby, and she sprang into action and went over and saved the younger sister. So a wonderful job. According to the mother, Lila sank to the bottom of the shallow end because she wasn't wearing her puddle pumper, rather puddle jumper, life jacket. And that's when the six-year-old Mia, the oldest of the four children that the family has, was the only person who saw her sister sink down three feet of water. And she went in and, and saved her life. Eight nearby adults, all some of which included active duty soldiers as Blythewood is near Fort Jackson. The eight adults, after noticing that this rescue happened, rendered aid to the unconscious 22-month-old, and luckily she has uh, been saved. But a great big sister there in Blythewood near Columbia, South Carolina, with a heroic act saving their sibling. 
Now, a crazy story out of the state of Georgia. A man in the Peach State charged with a felony after he's been accused of stealing a porch from a neighbor's front yard. How do you steal a porch is what I'm asking. Yes, Robin Swanger arrested following this incident in Arnco, which is in Coweta County, that is west of Atlanta. Noonan, Georgia area is where we're talking about. The owner of the property says that Mr. Swanger allegedly took the porch from uh, took the porch from a lot that appeared to be abandoned. Okay, I'm sorry, trying to read through what this incomplete sentence here was saying about this story. And an investigator said that Mr. Swanger passed no trespassing signs in the yard on his way to remove the wooden porch which was left on the property when the house was taken away. It's a full-size 8 by 10 porch. And this guy goes over there, and I guess he said, well, nobody's going to use that porch. I'm going to take it. So this guy is literally a porch pirate taking a porch. And usually the name porch pirate, somebody goes and steals Amazon packages from somebody's doorstep. But this is a, a true porch pirate coming from... <laughs> that portion of Georgia and this guy now arrested after stealing a neighbor's porch in Georgia how about this story coming to us from the state of Georgia a sheriff has now pleaded guilty to groping Judge Hatchett the lady that you see on TV and this judge or rather this sheriff has resigned his office as Blackley County Sheriff Christopher Cootie resigns after he allegedly groped Judge Hatchett's breast at a Georgia hotel during a recent gathering of law enforcement officials within the state of Georgia. His attorney sent the governor of Georgia a letter this week, and it was a resignation letter. The incident occurred back on January 18th at the Renaissance Atlanta Waverly Hotel and Convention Center, as the Blackley County Sheriff Cootie and Judge Hatchett were both there at the hotel bar, and he's alleged to have placed his hand on the breast of the victim without her consent. As they were there at the Georgia Sheriff's Association meeting, uh, former DeKalb County Sheriff Thomas Brown said that Hatchett came to the conference as his guest, and Brown said he physically pulled Cootie's hand off of Judge Hatchett. And now this sheriff resigning. Under the plea deal that the former sheriff has set up, he's been sentenced to 12 months probation, 40 hours of community service, and a $500 fine. I guess he was starstruck there at the Georgia Sheriff's Convention and put his hand where it didn't belong I wonder if Judge Hatchett's going to talk about it on her TV show. By the way, Glenda Hatchett, born in Atlanta. She's got a degree from the Emory University School of Law. And at one time, she worked with a federal clerkship in the U.S. District Court in Northern District of Georgia. And involved with her TV show for quite some time. She's got a show called The Verdict with Judge Hatchett. And then, personally, she resides in Atlanta with her two sons. So she's back in her hometown and 
I think most of her career has been in the Atlanta area, but she got her law degree back in 1977. Glenda Hatchett, the judge, and now in the headlines today, for not the best of reasons, thanks to a judge, or rather a, a former sheriff who's now resigned out of this county in Georgia that I'm not familiar with, Bleckley County, if you'll bear with me. Georgia is a massive state with more than 100 counties, and this one is one slightly unfamiliar to me, so let me see if I can't figure out where Bleckley County in Georgia is. It is a city that is home of Middle Georgia State University. It's smack dab in the middle of the Peach State, and its county seat is Cochrane, which is also its largest city, Cochrane, Georgia. Population 5,026. And Bleckley County is right around Macon, I guess is where you would call it, as it actually has its Middle Georgia College, which merged with Macon State College to become Middle Georgia State University back in 2013. And now it's former sheriff giving this county in Georgia a little bit of bad press on this Tuesday Jaw show. We are covering all things Southern. We will have more headlines as we go forward. In fact, speaking of Georgia, in our second hour today, I'm going to take time to walk through a couple of bell bondsmen in Atlanta that Donald Trump might want to put into his phone and give a call to when he's in Atlanta Thursday setting up his bond arrangement as he'll be able to get out of jail on a $200,000 bond thanks to the agreement that he and the officials of Fulton County set up as he'll be arrested there on Thursday. So we'll have a a, a little smart-alecky fun with the president and go through with a few bail bondsman options while in Atlanta Thursday. When we come back on y'all, we've got a Southern Sports Report headed your way and in that we're going to tell you about some greg sankey news commissioner of the sec plus speaking of the southeastern conference we got the odds of who's likely to win the sec in 2023 all that is coming right up I had a pretty darn good Monday, and I'm hoping that this Tuesday is going to equal 
what we had for me, at least on Monday. And you know what? I hope you all have just as good of a day today as me. And I hope you had a good Monday. And we're just going to rock this whole week out here. And Randy Travis is going to help us do that with songs like Hard Rock Bottom of Your Heart. We're back here on the Y'all Show. Now, Randy, if you don't mind, we're going to get into a little southern sports news here in our opening hour of this Tuesday Y'all Show. Greg Sankey is the commissioner of the Southeastern Conference, and he recently visited with Chris Lowe, ESPN's senior writer based out of Knox, Vegas. And Greg Sankey talking about how the winds of college football are a-changing. We've seen just in the last month and a half several teams pack up and move out of the Pac-12. And as a result of that, Sankey is indicating that maybe the college football playoff needs to be reconsidered thanks to all that realignment that's been happening in college football. And usually when Sankey talks, people listen. And I have to believe that there's a likely something that something's going on there. Sankey, who is one of the 10 FBS commissioners who oversee the college football playoff, along with Notre Dame's AD, is convinced that the 12-team format, which he helped come up with in the last year, and that was agreed upon for the 2024 season, the 12-team playoff, by the way, he thinks it needs to be re-examined. And in that format, the six highest-ranked conference champions by the playoff committee would make the playoff along with the next six highest-ranked teams. But now with the Pac-12 essentially forgotten about, only four teams currently in that. I, I think two of them are going to be taken off any day now. So the Pac-12 is completely irrelevant starting in 2024. Saki admitting that they need to rethink the way that thing was set up. Hey, Sankey, I know you listen in every day on the Y'all Show. Hmm, I think you just need to get rid of the daggum playoff. I really like the days of the best two teams playing for the national championship and none of this whole playoff junk. That's me. I'm old-fashioned. The FBS commissioners are going to meet next week in Dallas and then again in Chicago in the month of September. The SEC is the only conference to have a team in the playoff every year since its inception in the 2014 season. And, of course, next year you've got Oklahoma and Texas joining the Southeastern Conference. So there's going to be change, even more change, coming to the CFP. Will there be change in the Southeastern Conference in terms of who's going to win the championship? Let's go to SaturdayDownSouth.com. They've got an article written by Kevin Duffy, and Duffy has gone in and analyzed various gambling sites, the sites that matter for many of you. (laughs) And he's come up with the best odds of who's going to win the SEC championship in 2023. The two-time defending national champion Georgia Bulldogs are your minus 110 best odds favorite this year. Coming in number two at a plus 300, the Alabama Crimson Tide. Then it's LSU at plus 450. And after the Tigers, it's quite a jump to the next team. And believe it or not, this next team didn't even have a bowl game. They had a losing season in 2022, but they're the expected fourth most favored team in the SEC in 2023. That would be the Aggies of Texas A&M, plus 1,400 odds for Jimbo Fisher's team. 
After A&M, the Vols on Rocky Top are a plus 1,600 favorite to win the Southeastern Conference this season. And following Tennessee is a big jump. Up next, Lane Kiffin's Shark Rebel Black Bears as Mississippi is a plus 5,000 odd favorite to win the SEC. Auburn and Hugh Freeze are at a plus 8,000 odds favorite to win. Florida also at an 8,000 odds to win the SEC. Then Sam Pittman and the Arkansas Razorbacks are at at 10,000 odds. Also, that's the number that Shane Beamer's Gamecocks and the Columbia Poultry Company have to win the SEC in 2023. Mississippi State's got a new coach, and they and the Kentucky Wildcats both have a plus 12,500 odds favorite to win the SEC. Not looking good in Starkville or Lexington, by the way. And then, at 20,000 odds, the Missouri Tigers and Coach Drinkwitz, who could be facing his last season as head coach in Mizzou, as that team has not gone to extremely good heights during his tenure. They've been hovering around 500, frankly. That's not quite good enough there in Como. And then the last team in the Odds for winning the SEC, no surprise, the Vanderbilt Commodores. Vandy at a plus 75,000 odds chance of making the SEC championship in 2023. And, and not just making it, winning. I would like to, if, if Baylor can win the Big 12, if Duke can play for the ACC championship, heck yeah, Vanderbilt can win an SEC championship. So, Come on, Clark Lee. Let's see what you can do in 2023. By the way, the Commodores, they've got a football game this weekend. Is that the first team in the SEC to strap it up and play? Hawaii comes to Nashville for a game on Saturday evening. And again, those are your odds-on favorites. Georgia easily picked to win the SEC another year. Now the question is, with their new QB, are the Dogs going to win a third straight national championship. The Washington Redskin Commanders got a big win Monday night on Monday Night Football. Joey Sly had a 49-yard field goal with just about nine seconds left on the clock, and his field goal was true, and as a result, the Commanders beat the Ravens, and it was the first loss for Coach Harbaugh's Ravens since a preseason game in 2015. That's a total of 24 straight Ravens preseason wins. And the Washington Redskin Commanders knocked off their neighbor from over in Baltimore 29-28. And there was a big celebration. I know this was game two of the preseason for the NFL franchise out of the nation's capital but hey there's a rivalry between Washington and Baltimore in all sports and so kudos to this NFL franchise which has been the brunt of a lot of criticism with Dan Snyder's ownership going away now they've got to build a new stadium they're not even close to being what they once were in terms of DC sports hierarchy just all the topsy-turvy nature of this 
NFL team, and at least for a preseason game, there's a lot of pride there for the Hogs of Washington. Now, a former member of the Baltimore Ravens and a Maryland native, Brandon Copeland, has hung up his cleats. He's retired at the age of 32 years old. Brandon Copeland played collegially for the Penn Quakers before starting his career, mostly with the Detroit Lions, as he played with the Lions as a defensive playmaker, as a linebacker for several years. Then he went on with a a little bit of a career with the Jets, then Patriots, Falcons, and last season he was back in Baltimore helping out for a while with the Baltimore Ravens. But now Brandon Copeland, a free agent linebacker, has decided to give up the game at age 32. And I think he'll be just fine. Brandon Copeland went to Penn, was captain of the 2012 Ivy League Championship winning Quakers and graduated from the Wharton School with a Bachelor of Science in Economics. He and Donald Trump can go hang out and talk about Wharton together. So we wish this young man, the native of Sykesville, Maryland, Brandon Copeland, all the best with his next chapter of his life post-playing NFL football. And one other football-related thing from the north we go. Michigan self-imposed, self-imposed a three-game suspension for Jim Harbaugh on Monday. All this stems from alleged violations during the COVID-19 dead period. So Harbaugh going to sit out three games. I'm assuming there will be the East Carolina UNLV and Bowling Green first three games of the 2023 season for Big Blue Michigan. I think that's their nickname. But yes, Michigan going to let Harbaugh have a, that would be Jim Harbaugh, not his Baltimore Ravens coaching brother, John. Jim going to have a little extra time to think about things here in the opening weeks of college football. And that is a Southern sports update here for our number one. A reminder coming up in our final hour today, we're going to tell you all about the Clemson Tigers as Clemson is our featured school today on the Y'all Show. We've been on a little bit of a a tour across the southeast getting you ready for the start of college football season and today we're stopping off in death valley getting you ready for the clemson tigers season we'll walk through the schedule we've got some audio from Davo sweeney head coach of the tigers and we will tell you about some of the great traditions you'll find when you put on them orange overalls and cheer for the tigers a little tiger rag yeah all that coming up in our final hour of today's Y'all Show. When we come back, we're going to wrap up this opening hour of Y'all with a little Southern political report and news from the former governor of Arkansas, Asia Hutchinson. Has he qualified for Wednesday's Republican debate in Milwaukee? He says he has. We will be back to tell you about that and more when the Y'all Show rolls on. Fine by dust, but I'm telling you 
baby These things eat at your bones And drive your young mind crazy But when you place your head Between my collar and jaw I don't know much But there's no weight at all I'm damned if I do and I'm damned if I don't Cause if I say I miss you, I know that you won't But I miss you in the mornings when I see the sun Something in the orange tells me we're not done Just a man to me or all I am Where hell am I supposed to go? Poison myself again Something in the orange tells me You're never coming home Not often do we have country music singers Born in Okinawa, Japan But that's exactly what Zach Bryan has in his bio Born in Japan but grew up in Oklahoma and he took that song right there something in the orange to the number one position earlier in the year and proud to play this Oki here on the Y'all Show where we feature great southern music and great southerners whether it's in music like Zach Bryan's case or perhaps it could be in the world of politics we cover it all right here on the Y'all Show and we've got our southern political report to help us wrap up this opening hour of our Tuesday Y'all Show. And so you got the Republican presidential debate going on Wednesday in Milwaukee. President Trump already said that he would not attend that. Wednesday, he's got a busy day. Thursday, as he's going to be turning himself into a Fulton County Jail on Thursday. So what is he going to be doing in between? Well, something he's already done is he's already taped an interview with Tucker Carlson. And that is expected to air during the same time that the GOP debate is airing on Fox News. Brilliant, brilliant decision from DJT. A brilliant decision also to turn himself in Thursday. If you got to do it, and he's got to do it, keep that anticipation up. Keep the cameras on you instead of these other people that are just sucking oxygen in and trying to stay alive. They're begging, not just sucking. They're begging for oxygen. And Trump, as he often does, takes all the oxygen out of the room, even when he's not wanting it sometimes. I mean, if you cut on any major news outlet, there's about a 90% chance that you'll see the word Trump come across TV or they'll be talking about Trump within any given five-minute stretch. I'd put my odds at 90% that Trump's going to be on there. Something Trump-related, for sure, if not 100%. <laughs> but yes, Trump already this week says he's not going to participate in that Milwaukee debate, so he sat down and already got this interview with Tucker Carlson in the can, and that's going to be rolled out Wednesday during the Republican presidential debate, of which will have Mike Pence in it. It'll have Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley, Vivek Ramaswamy, Doug Burgum, Tim Scott, Chris Christie, and the news out 
on Monday that Asa Hutchinson, the former senator and governor of the state of Arkansas, he says he's now qualified for the Milwaukee debate. That's quite a turnaround. Hutchinson said that he had submitted 42,000 individual donors to the Republican National Committee. And this guy who, just like Chris Christie's primary purpose is to deny Donald Trump a chance to run for president in 2024, he told Casey Hunt on State of the Union that he's pleased to announce that they've met that criteria that the RNC set to be on the debate stage. And he'll be in Milwaukee debating on Wednesday. Candidates must have at least 40,000 unique donors with at least 200 unique donors per state. And they must reach at least 1% in three national polls meeting the RNC's requirements or at least 1% in two national polls and two polls from separate early voting states. And Hutchinson, to his credit, a lot of people have kind of laughed at his effort to even be in this thing and boy is he getting a lot of attention when you cut on the tv especially if you're cutting it on cnn msnbc and some of the non-foxes non-conservative channels you're going to see asia hudson and you're going to see chris christie every day they've got a voice and their again primary purpose is to keep cutting at donald trump bringing him down these guys ought to might as well go run as democrats and Hutchinson, you can see what he's going to say all about Trump during this Republican debate, again airing from Milwaukee on Wednesday. Now, some non-Trump news. House Republicans have subpoenaed four individuals involved in the Hunter Biden criminal probe. The subpoenas from House Judiciary Chair Jim Jordan and Ways and Means Chair Jason Smith targeted individuals involved in a October 2022 meeting between the IRS whistleblowers that say they exposed previously unknown roadblocks that David Weiss had in place. The subpoenas to two individuals from the IRS and two individuals from the DOJ underscore how House Republicans seek to move forward with securing testimony in their investigations related to the young Mr. Biden. But this is another case of Hunter Biden and this House effort to try to find the truth of what's going on with the Hunter Biden criminal probe. Again, I I hate to tell people, I hate to give you this kind of false hope, but I believe this one's going to be a nothing burger when it's all said and done. As most House Republican and, 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 and even the Democrats, they went in and looked at January 6th throughout the last two years prior to Republicans taking over the House. And what did that what did that end up proving or showing? And the House Republicans, what is this going to end up proving or showing when it really matters? Maybe I'm going to be surprised. Maybe some real good will come of this, but I just hearken back to Benghazi and all of Trey, Trey Gowdy talking for months and months and months about, oh, we're going to get Hillary Clinton on Benghazi and that ended up being as we said a nothing burger many years ago I can't imagine this would be much different with Hunter Biden since it's coming from the U.S. House that wraps up our hour one and that wraps up our Southern Political Report stay with us hour number two today is headed your way including in that Southern Books we're going to tell you all about white trash 
we are back on the show that shakes up the Southland. We are y'all with the guy that has the last name that rhymes with that word, John Rawl. And it's good to be with all y'all. On the second hour of our program about the Southeast, we mix in news, sports, politics, cooking, travel, entertainment, and so much more. Ain't nobody does what we do on a daily basis. We broadcast on awesome radio stations. Also, we're available in podcast form. You can find the Y'all Show each and every day on Spotify, on TuneIn app, the Apple Podcast app, as well as Apple iTunes. We're also on the iHeartRadio app, and you can find us at yall.com. Y'all.com is another wonderful option for you to be able to find the y'all show and you can drop us an email if you've got something you want to get off your chest and tell us about it we want to we want to know about it here at the y'all show so please consider dropping us an email m-a-i-l mail at y-a-l-l dot com and you can also have a text sent our way that text line to call 24 hours a day 615-208-4184 so coming up in the second hour of today's y'all show we've got more headlines coming in from across the region. Plus, we have a Southern book report that we'll be getting to. And we'll let you know about New York Times, their top-selling books on the fiction and nonfiction category. And we'll also let you hear from a, a rising Southern writer, Nancy Eisenberg. She's considered a very good Southern history author. And she has written a book all about white trash. (laughs) And we're going to tell you a little bit about what the heck white trash, what that really means. And if you're white trash, then you can take great pride in being white trash. I think I qualify for that most of the time. We'll also let you hear an interview Nancy Eisenberg did about her book, White Trash. All that coming up in our Southern Book Report later this hour. And before the hour is up, We've got an entertainment report. We've got Let It Be. Yes, you've heard that thing a million times from Ringo Starr and Paul McCartney. But have you ever had a chance to hear that song with those two gentlemen teamed up with Sevierville, Tennessee's own Dolly Parton? And Dolly has just released her own version of Let It Be that's got Ringo and Paul on it. And we'll play a good portion of that as part of our entertainment report. It's coming up, and I'll tell you how that trio came to be with Let It Be, plus some Britney Spears news and more, all in our entertainment headlines of the day before this second hour of the Y'all Show comes to an end. All I can say is just just let it be. Good to have you back here on Hour 2. Let's pick up with our headlines from across the southeast to start off hour number two, the big story nationwide is President Trump, who's already said he wasn't going to go to the Republican debate on Wednesday in Milwaukee. He's going to have instead on Wednesday evening his interview with Tucker Carlson air. I'm not exactly sure where all it will air. I don't think it will air on Fox. In fact, Fox already today is pulling the credentials of some of the Trump surrogates that were going to be in Milwaukee for this Republican presidential debate. Makes sense to me. If Trump's not going to be there, if he's going to take his toys and go somewhere else, then why clog the room up with Trump people if he's not even there? 
Makes sense to me. So Trump not going to be in Milwaukee Wednesday. I, I can tell you where he's going to be Thursday, as it was announced Monday that the 45th president is going to surrender to the Fulton County Jail Thursday, as he's going to be officially turning himself in after he was indicted last week on charges that he affected the Georgia election, presidential election of 2020. On his Truth Social Media Network Monday evening, Trump put out there the following, Can you believe it? I'll be going to Atlanta, Georgia on Thursday to be arrested. Trump's bond set at $200,000. You reckon he can make that? Well, here at the Y'all Show, we want to help out President Trump. We want his time in Atlanta to be as pain-free as possible. We want it to be as quick as possible. He's got other things to be doing than to be hanging out at the Fulton County, Georgia jail. So our incredible research team here at the Y'all Show, President Trump, I know you listen, here are some great bail bondsmen in Fulton County, Georgia, if you would like to consider giving them a call. If you need help with that $200,000 bond that you've got set now, if your checks don't clear, here's some bail bondsmen in Atlanta you might want to consider calling. Y'all ready for this? We're going to have some fun here for a moment. (laughs) Trump, you can always call up there on Peachtree Street, the free at last bell bonds. Free at last. Free at last. That's the name of this bell bond place in Atlanta. Trump might want to give him a call. Also, you've got In His Hands Bell Bonds Incorporated at 227 Peachtree Street in Atlanta. (laughs) In his hands, bell bonds. How about first choice bell bonds of Fulton County? Seems like a more respectable name for a bell bonds place in Atlanta, Georgia, if you're desperately looking for somebody to come help you out. How about easy way out bell bonds? That's also right down the street, I think from Peachtree in Atlanta. Easy way out. How about another option for President Trump? If he's needing to get out real quick, he can do it with one call because if he picks up the phone and calls 404-529-0020, he'll get the number for 24-7 one call, Atlanta Bell Bonds. These places know what they're doing in Atlanta. Also, he's got King Bell Bonds. I wonder if it's named after Martin Luther King. That's an option for being in the Fulton County Jail. Another one is Freedom Rings. Did I, I already mention that one? I may, I may have. Some of these are starting to sign, sound kind of the same. How about Red Eye Bell Bonds? Trump might be up late in his jail cell if he gets booked into a jail and he'll have a, a Red Eye night. Red Eye Bell Bonds is the way to go. Another choice is a Second Chance Bell Bonds in Atlanta. They come highly rated on Facebook, by the way. So write that down, President Trump, as a, as a choice for you. And then our last one that we'll get to is a Swift Bell Bonding Company. A Swift, a Swift, maybe be the better pronunciation of this. A Swift, a Swift, that's a hard thing to remember to say. A Swift Bell Bonding Company on Mitchell Street. I wonder if that's named after Margaret Mitchell of Gone with the Wind fame. But that is another option, President Trump, if you're if you're in need of a little help. 
come Thursday when you are booked into the Fulton County Jail in Atlanta. I wonder where that jail, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to pull up a map here, bear with me. Most of these jail, these bail bonding places are right smack dab near that gigantic intersection where the state capital is and all the interstates kind of come together in downtown Atlanta. Sandwich between, let's say, the state capital and over there toward the Mercedes-Benz Stadium. It's where the bell bonds places are, which means chances are the the jail should be somewhere right in that area. But uh, let's see if it's not stuck somewhere else in another part of Atlanta. Fulton County Jail on Rice Street. And that is, if you're looking at a map of Atlanta, that's actually northwest Atlanta. That's even further north of Georgia Tech's campus is where the Fulton County Jail is. So that's a nice little quiet escape, if you will, from the hustle and bustle of downtown Atlanta where the Fulton County Jail is located. It is not too far from, what is this little section of Atlanta called? Yeah, it's it's right off the Georgia Tech campus in sort of the northwestern section of Atlanta in the West Highlands and Rockdale area of Atlanta, Georgia. Blandtown is also a little, another little section. A lot of railroads coming in there. Not exactly the uh, top-notch real estate where this jail is located, as you would likely expect. But President Trump's got some bond options. Most of those bond places are way down there, you know, right by the state capitol. So that's a good 10-minute ride in a car. I don't know how that stuff works. I have never been arrested. Trump's got me beat four times over now on being arrested. An update on the weather today. There is a tropical storm hitting South Florida. It is Tropical Storm Herald, expected to come ashore midday around Brownsville. Going to bring several inches of rain. Harold is the eighth named storm of the Atlantic season so far. It's the first tropical storm to hit the Gulf of Mexico since Arlene was the first named storm of the entire season, and that was back in early June when Arlene formed. This Harold now hitting South Texas at the extreme portion around the Rio Grande is where this will be coming in today and is expected to have winds around 45 miles per hour it's a very low level tropical storm but it's going to have a good bit of rainfall pushing right through the Rio Grande Valley so keep an eye out on that if you're watching the tropics Mackenzie Scott she is a lady who of course recently in the last two years divorced her hubby Mr. Amazon Jeff Bezos and Mackenzie Scott is getting her revenge on divorce. She's getting her revenge on Jeff Bezos by spending up a bunch of money. Of course, she was part of Amazon, too, to her credit. But so far, according to reports, Mackenzie Scott has given 17 nonprofits a bunch of money. She's given over $97 million to these 97 nonprofits. And those gifts range from a million to 15 million dollars to each one of them 
Half of the charities focused on early childhood education and early childhood development. Mackenzie Scott, the again, ex-wife of the Texas native Jeff Bezos, has now given more than $14 billion to over 1,600 charities since her divorce in 2020. She ought to run for president. She really ought to she's been one heck of a contributor remember she ended up marrying after Bezos some guy that was a just a regular fellow there in the Seattle area I think that's where they were and his child and her children children or child were in school together or something like that and I think she's now divorced him but she's given her money she is running through that money you know some some folks like to just blow money on meaningless things, at least to Mackenzie Scott's credit. She's giving it to charity and giving a lot here in 2023. Other headlines across the Southeast here on today's Y'all Show. How about Metallica, the rock band? They've made a major donation to the Tarrant area in Texas to their food bank after they had some shows in Arlington, Texas the last few days. The Grammy Award-winning band was playing at AT&T Stadium, Jerry World, had gigs there Friday and Sunday. And on Monday, Metallica announced that they have donated $35,000 to the food bank through their All Within My Hands Foundation. The heavy metal rockers with a huge donation to the Tarrant Area Food Bank in North Texas. If every rock and roll act, if every country act, if every R&B act pop act, whatever, would take the time to do just a little good when they were in an area, an area which I'm sure that at AT AT&T Stadium, they had gigantic crowds and did quite well on the ticket sales. So what's $35,000? And here they are giving back Metallica to the Texas area as this Tarrant Food Bank serves a 13-county area, according to its president and CEO, Julie Butner. She said food banks across the state are seeing increases in need due to inflation, rising costs, and we know this donation couldn't have come at a greater time. Metallica are hunger heroes. Metallica right now on the M72 World Tour. They've got shows forthcoming in L.A., Phoenix, St. Louis, and Detroit, and then they head to Europe in the spring. So, boy, Rock on, Metallica. Earlier this month, Metallica's foundation, All Within My Hands, donated a $200,000 grant for the Maui Strong Fund established through the Hawaii Community Foundation to aid the wildfire victims. So, kudos, kudos, kudos to Metallica. We should play a Metallica song in honor of their incredible southern hospitality given back. Publix grocery stores in Florida, that's where you'll find most of them. Of course, they're in other states like Alabama and Tennessee and other southern states, but based out of Florida. And for a long time, Floridians have gone into their local Publix and ordered up a hurricane cake at the baker there in the bake shop of Publix. Well, guess what? Due to the insensitive nature of how bad storms and tropical storms and hurricanes can be Publix is now cutting out the making of hurricane cakes 
people on social media put pictures up of some of the hurricane cakes of the past that say go away on them they have the baker put that on there or leave florida alone kind of a a little bit of a mockery of hurricanes coming ashore in florida but Publix is no longer going to be baking hurricane-themed cakes for customers in the Sunshine State. Hurricane Ian, Hurricane Nicole had so many deaths in the Sunshine State that Publix said while they enjoy finding ways to delight consumers with their favorite Publix items, those cakes will not be made anymore, the hurricane cakes, due to the insensitive nature of of the cakes due to the natural disasters causing a loss of life and more people on social media criticized the decision saying that the cakes are just a form of gallows humor I guess fun making of people dying maybe that they have hurricane parties and they want that cake to go along with that I guess if you're outside of Florida you can still get your hurricane cake made maybe that's what people there in Florida that are desperate for having a Hurricane cake, you'll just need to get it shipped in there in the hours before the next hurricane hits the Sunshine State. But no more hurricane cakes if you're hungry just before a storm hits the shores of Florida. And lastly, in our headlines for Hour 2 of today's Y'all Show, are you on TikTok? If you are... This story you might can relate to. A TikTok challenge has now disrupted a high school football game in the state of Georgia. A game between Benedictine Military School and the Herschel V. Jenkins High School. This high school game canceled Friday after a large group of spectators created the impression of a chaotic incident as part of this TikTok challenge. This is a contest that happened in the Savannah area as Savannah Chatham County Public Schools said there were multiple crowd issues in the third quarter of the game between Benedictine Military and Herschel V. Jenkins. Officials said it was all part of a TikTok challenge to purposely create an issue. Benedictine was leading 42 to nothing in the third quarter when the game was called and they were declared winner of the game. It's the second consecutive year that a game between both of the schools was canceled while it was in progress. You know, maybe they not they might not want to play this game next year. In last year's game, an incident in the Jenkins stands before halftime led to the cancellations. Fans started to go out onto the field in the middle of the game as police officers tried to investigate what was happening. And this year it looks like there was a fake fight or something and panic and more and just stupidity okay just plain stupidity and i'm not sure tiktok itself is not just plain stupid but a high school game canceled because of a tiktok challenge we've reached a new low in society in a state like georgia that loves their high school football what is going on in chatham county georgia y'all what is up with that That wraps up our news headlines for this second hour of the Y'all Show. When we come back, we've got a look at some Southern book news as we've got the New York Times bestsellers for both fiction and nonfiction. Plus, author Nancy Eisenberg has written a book about white trash. And we're going to hear from the 
LSU professor, author, and let you know more about white trash that she's been researching for a while. All that's coming up before the hour's up. We've got an entertainment report coming your way with some Beatles music. singing about there some old country from some 15 20 years ago from the west virginian brad paisley from the album mud on the tires we're back here on y'all talk with an accent on all things southern you can catch the y'all show in podcast form each and every day as we're available free of charge we kind of feel like a celebrity i'm gonna wreck my ferrari on the way to rehab brad paisley yeah you can catch the y'all show in podcast form on Spotify, the iHeartRadio app, the TuneIn app, plus we're available in Apple iTunes and Apple Podcasts. And if those options aren't just quite up to speed for you, you can also find the Y'all Show at yallyall.com, the South homepage. And we're free of charge there, too. So check it out. We've got more than 600 Y'all episodes that we have knocked out through the last five years or so and happy to do that let's take time here on the y'all show to give you the latest on books across the southeast as we have the new york times bestsellers list and we're going to jump into that right now giving you a look at the top five books in both the fiction and the non-fiction category and so if we look at the combined print and ebook fiction category the latest new york times bestsellers list has Rebecca Yaros's Fourth Wing atop the bestsellers list as Violet Sorengal is urged by the commanding general, who also is her mother, to become a candidate for the elite dragon riders. Fourth Wing, number one on the NYT fiction list. Ann Patchett, we told you about her last week. She is a Nashville-based author, and her book, Tom Lake, has been out on the chart for two weeks, and it is number two with Tom Lake. From Ann Patchett, three daughters who returned to their family orchard in the spring of 2020 learn about their mother's relationship with a famous actor, Tom Lake, number two in the fiction list. Number three, brand new from Danielle Steele. Boy, she can crank out some books. Steele's latest book is called Happiness. 
a best-selling author, inherits an estate near London from her uncle and contemplates embracing a new identity. Happiness from Danielle Steele. It's the number three book on the New York Times combined print and ebook fiction list. Coming in at number four, also a brand new book this week, it's Lisa Jewell's None of This is True. After meeting a woman who shares the same birthday, Alix Summer becomes the subject of her own true crime podcast. None of this is true from Lisa Jewell on the New York Times bestsellers list. And then this book's been out a few weeks, but it's just made it into the top five of the New York Times bestseller list. And that is The Heaven and Earth Grocery Store from James McBride. As this book comes in at number five, secrets held by the residents of a dilapidated neighborhood come to life when a skeleton is found at the bottom of a well. The Heaven and Earth Grocery Store from James McBride on the New York Times bestseller list. Coming in on the nonfiction category for the New York Times bestsellers here this week, it's Robert Oppenheimer's bio, American Prometheus, from Kai Bird and Martin J. Sherwin. As this is a biography of J. Robert Oppenheimer, winner of the Pulitzer Prize in 2006 and an inspiration for the film Oppenheimer. Sorry, I'm in the middle of a sneezing attack, and uh, when John has a sneezing attack, it can go on for a few moments, so bear with me. I'm trying to do you all a favor and cut off my mic when uh, the urge hits me. So, But while I have a moment, I actually went over the weekend and saw the movie Oppenheimer, the three-hour film that's in theaters, and it was a movie that is good. It's a good movie. I don't consider it a great movie. You didn't tune in now to hear me review movies. But it was a a bit of a complicated movie, and and a lot of it was complicated because a, uh, half the movie was Washington D.C. hearings about Oppenheimer and his affinity for communism, or at least being around communist sympathizers. And I just got a text in on the. <laughs> on the text line here, thank you. Someone says, bless you. Yes, well, thank you for that. I really appreciate it. <laughs> you know, sneezing is a weird thing. Some people can just do it. You don't even know they've done it. And then for me, I make the walls shake oftentimes when I have the urge to sneeze. And I haven't had a good sneezing attack in several days. It might have even been more than a week. So I don't think I'm sick. I just, just got a little something in the air got a hold of me and uh, maybe I'm finally past this now but I appreciate it texture very southern of you to send me a text to bless me bless your heart or as we say in the good German language Gesundheit and by the way when I sneeze I actually use German I when I sneeze if you ever are near me you may hear me say a scheiß can I cuss in German on this show? I'm going to do it. My uh, word I say when I sneeze, and I've been doing it for a long, since I took German in school, <laughs> is uh, when I sneeze, I say, Scheiße, which means uh, S-H-I, and then you can figure out the rest. Uh, it just comes out natural when I sneeze. I'm sorry. 
I'm sorry, y'all. Forgive me. Okay, um, Gesundheit. American Prometheus is the number one nonfiction book. And, and again, my summary of the Oppenheimer movie, three hours and half of it is about Washington, D.C. hearings. And some of that could have been cut out. I was looking up over the weekend after seeing the movie, one of the big stars played by Robert Downey Jr. in this movie, Oppenheimer, was Admiral Strauss. And he was a native of Virginia. He actually grew up in Virginia, although born in West Virginia, I think. He grew up in Virginia and was a proud Southerner and is actually buried in Richmond's Hebrew Cemetery in Richmond, Virginia. But uh, a Southern connection there with Admiral Strauss, who was really portrayed in the movie as a villain, but a very distinguished career for this man who was very close to Herbert Hoover and served in the United States Naval Reserve in World War II, rising all the way to an admiral and then very involved in the Atomic Energy Commission and such just after the conclusion of the Second World War. Okay, let's get back to book talk here. And in the combined print and ebook fiction coming in just after the Robert Oppenheimer biography, American Prometheus, is David Gron's second uh, number number two on the list here Killers of the Flower Moon he's got two books in the top five also in the top five is Peter Adia and Bill Gifford's Outlive and that is a book about aging and longevity also David Gron's The Wager checks in at number four on the New York Times bestsellers list of nonfiction books and then lastly a book that's been on this uh, nonfiction breakdown for over three years Bessel van der Kolk's The Body Keeps the Score, How Trauma Affects the Body and Mind and Innovative Treatments for Recovery. Surely to goodness, that book must be talked about on some of these talk shows, not on the y'all show, although we're talking about it now. But surely to goodness, there must be some kind of daytime show that they're constantly promoting The Body Keeps the Score because for any book to be out here three, <laughs> three years now on this bestsellers list is is extremely impressive but there's just a weird weird connection to that in my opinion all right let's move on from the top sellers of now to at least a book worth mentioning here in the southeast i pulled up a breakdown of some good southern history books some southern history books that you might want to check out sometime a lot of these have to do with the civil rights movement books about Jim Crow books about Reconstruction back in the 1860s and more The Help from Catherine Stockett which got turned into a movie is a book that also made the list but one of the big books that are considered a good southern history book for you to consider I found on this list this read came out in 2016 from Louisiana-based author Nancy Eisenberg. The book is called White Trash, The 400-Year Untold History of Class in America. So not necessarily just about the South, but there's a lot of white trash in Dixie. And so this, this book here, White Trash from Eisenberg, takes a deep dive into the subject. We're going to hear from the LSU 
educator. She has been a teacher there on the LSU campus in Baton Rouge for a while. We're going to hear from her in just a second, but before we get to Nancy Eisenberg and her interview from some time back that was on C-SPAN, and we'll play that for you, I wanted to give you a little bit more information on exactly what the heck the term white trash, what, what does that really mean? And so in a second, I'm going to give you our breakdown of what what the definition of white trash is all about. And that term has been around, again, for, as her book says, 400 years. White trash, a derogatory racial and class-related, it's a slur. And it's especially used as a slur in the rural areas of the South. As this is a label that signifies a social class inside the white population and especially a degraded standard of living. According to the definition, it's used as a way to separate the noble and hardworking good poor from the lazy, undisciplined, ungrateful, and disgusting bad poor. The use of the term provides middle and upper class whites a means of distancing themselves from the poverty and powerlessness of poor whites who cannot enjoy those privileges as well as a way to disown their perceived behavior. You're just white trash. In common usage, white trash overlaps in meaning with cracker. So cracker is a term used in a not-so-positive way, and white trash overlaps with cracker. Hillbilly, another not-so-nice thing to say, but something that whites are often called. A white trash person in Oklahoma might be called an oaky, but in Oklahoma, I think that is a, is a sense of pride. There's the redneck term, and redneck's a complicated word because it, if you're Jeff Foxworthy, you're proud to be a redneck, but then you don't want to be called a redneck. But is it worth getting into a fight? Then there's uh, more modern terms like trailer trash. <laughs> We're getting it all covered here today on the Y'all Show, aren't we? From trailer trash to cracker to oaky to hillbilly. And it all comes from the original white trash. And according to experts, the expression white trash probably originated in the slang used by blacks as enslaved Americans. They're the ones that came up with the term white trash. How about that? Poor white trash, another way of expressing white trash, if you're really wanting to get deep, deep, deep down into the white trashness. In the book White Trash, the 400-Year Untold Story of Class in American, historian Nancy Eisenberg compiled a long but hardly definitive list of derisive names that have been used to refer to poor whites. So she's even gone further. How about these terms? for white trash, all right? Some of these I've not heard of. Waste people. Off scourings. You're a lubber. You're a bog rotter. A rascal. Rubbish. Squatters. Crackers. Claders. Tuckles. Mud seals. Scalawags. Briar hopper. Hillbillies. Lowdowners. White N-words, degenerates, white trash, rednecks, trailer trash, swamp people. Hmm. 
I've got some new words to call some of you out there, and, and maybe myself. <laughs> but I, I have to wonder, though, that some people who are white trash might take great pride in being white trash. And again, this is not exclusively a Southern thing, but mostly mostly a Southern thing, I think, is what the general consensus would be. Nancy Eisenberg, the lady we were just referencing, who wrote this book about white trash, she was interviewed on C-SPAN. Brian Lamb, I believe, is the guy from C-SPAN that interviews people a lot, or has interviewed people a lot. And he sat down with this lady who has been a professor of history at LSU, the Rutgers University alumni, talking about her own history, of which, as she's going to say here, includes some heritage in Texas, but she's also Jewish, so she's got her own unique white trashness, if indeed she identifies as a little white trash. Nancy Eisenberg, again, her book, All About White Trash, and let's go into C-SPAN and pick up the conversation that Lamb had with her, talking about her 400-year story of the white white trash in the You're South. A historian, it's amazing how you may not know the full details of your own family's background. And my mother at one point told me, and we, with my sister, we visited her birthplace in Texas, you know, deep, deep southern part of Texas. And I was curious, well, how did she end up getting there? Well, her father, whose name was McDougal, essentially had had a job for transporting laborers from Canada down to Texas. And that, to me, is telling, because it's part of one of the stories that I'm telling when I talk about indentured servitude. This idea that rather than thinking of America in the way we like to think of it, the most positive way is an exceptional society that we broke free of the class system at the time of the revolution and were the land of opportunity and upward mobility. In fact, as I argue, what both Benjamin Franklin and Thomas Jefferson, and this continues to be part of our way of thinking and the, pat- the real pattern of how people define themselves economically, what, they really, what was really being promised was horizontal mobility the ability to keep moving. If you move one place and fail, you move somewhere else. And that, to me, uh, resonated uh, with what my book was about. All right, that is, again, author of the book all about white trash. Nancy Eisenberg is her name, and she's been a professor of history at Louisiana State University, the old war school in Baton Rouge. Pick up that book. could be an educational read. You might... uh, start identifying yourself not as a white person but as a white trash person once you have a chance to read that book out by nancy eisenberg we'll take a time out on y'all when we come back we have an entertainment report headed your way and included in that is a song that's just come out we've got it we're going to play a portion of let it be from dolly parton ringo Starr, and paul mccartney that plus news on britney spears as our entertainment report will wrap up this second hour of the show that shakes the southland white trash hillbilly Mother Mary comes to me Speaking words 
think that is brand new from Dolly Parton as she and Paul McCartney and Ringo Starr together on that remake of the 1970s Beatles ballad Let It Be and that is the latest single from Dolly Parton's brand new rock album called Rockstar and that song out right now on radio what do y'all think Rockstar is going to come out globally on November the 17th, and it is Dolly Parton's first foray into rock music, and Let It Be is the lead-off single. Again, kudos to her for getting Ringo and Paul on here. Who knows? This one might be numero uno for a while, the way Dolly Parton's career has gone. Elsewhere uh, across the entertainment spectrum here on the Y'all Show as we wrap up, our second hour with entertainment news. Britney Spears talking about her divorce, her pending divorce from Sam Asghari. She sh- says that she couldn't take the pain anymore. That's what she's saying out as Britney Spears posted a dance video to her Instagram account over the weekend. And in the caption, she wrote, As everyone knows, as Sam and I are no longer together, that's her estranged husband's birth name Sam Asgari and she went on to say but I couldn't take the pain anymore I've been playing it strong for way too long and my Instagram may seem perfect but it's far from reality and I think we all know that I would love to show my emotions and tears on how I really feel but some reason I've always had to hide my weaknesses Britney Spears and her husband of just over a year Splitting and getting headlines for the Louisiana native here in the last couple of days with that unfortunate news from her, Britney Spears. Elsewhere in our headlines, tragedy in the last few months for country music singer Kelly Pickler as her husband committed suicide earlier in the year. And six months after her husband died, Pickler issuing issuing a statement about the loss of her husband, Kyle Jacobs, a songwriter and producer who died February 17th at their Nashville area home. Jacobs was 49 years old. Kelly Pickler, the North Carolina native and country music starlet with a statement that said one of the most beautiful lessons my husband taught me was in a moment of crisis. If you don't know what to do, do nothing. Just be still. I have chosen to heed his advice. 
but yes, we wish, unfortunately, Kelly Pickler going through this, we wish her all the best. She signed her statement to People Magazine with love and blessings, Kelly. The couple who dated since 2008 got engaged in 2010 and then got married in 2011. And again, he committed suicide earlier in the year. And wrapping up our headlines across the South in terms of the entertainment headlines and more, how about Oliver Anthony? The guy came out of nowhere last week. He ended up number one on the Billboard chart with his song, The Hopelessness and Frustration, that that song he had out about the uh, rich men north of Richmond, which I heard multiple times on the radio last week. Pretty incredible deal. That wraps up our second hour of the Y'all Show. More Y'all coming up in Hour 3. Stay with us. Welcome in to the show all about the South. We are the Y'all Show in our final hour as we cover all things Southern. In this final hour, I'll be joined by the Takapola storyteller, Jerry Short, as he and I are going to have a discussion about the comparison of 1968's presidential election to the 2024 cycle. There are some wacky similarities, including a Kennedy in the race, a president who is definitely wounded and is old. And then you've got just a lot of other weird, bizarre things. Maybe not a Vietnam war raging, but <laughs> there is a war in the world going on right now that we would not have expected in this part of the 21st century. We'll have all that. Jerry Short, our Takapola storyteller, always fun when he drops by, and he'll be doing that in the next segment before the hour is up. It is our continuation of our tour across the Southeast, getting you ready for the start of college football 2020-2023. And on this episode today, we will be at Clemson University in the upstate of South Carolina as the Clemson Tigers and Dabo Sweeney are our featured college. And we'll let you know about the Tigers' upcoming schedule as they start on the road this year in an ACC battle at Duke on Labor Day weekend. We'll tell you about Clemson's schedule, some of the expectations, and we'll hear from Dabo Sweeney, the coach of Clemson who has led them to two national championships in the last few years. A lot of orange, a lot of a lot of running down that hill, and all the other traditions of Clemson will be spotlighted before we get out of here on this Tuesday edition. So hold that tiger. All that coming up on y'all. If you want to get involved, our number to call, 615, well, it's a number to text, frankly, 615-208-4184. If you want to email us, it's mail at yall.com. Would love to hear from you here on the Y'all Show. So the big national story is that President Trump is going to surrender at a Fulton County jail on Thursday. And lo and behold, of course, when Trump was indicted last week, he was one of 19 people who were indicted. And guess what? 
We've already seen the first Trump co-defendant surrender at the Fulton County Jail today. And this is a guy from the Coffee County area of Georgia, Scott Hall, his name. And he was arrested for his alleged involvement in the voting system's breach of Coffee County in Georgia. And he's the first of the 19 co-defendants. And his arrest today marks him as the first of those. Do you know what Mr. Hall's profession is? You can't make this stuff up, y'all. The guy's a bail bondsman <laughs> in Coffee County, Georgia, and now he's the first of them to be arrested. And Trump might be number two. Maybe Trump might call this guy up and help get him out of jail. Hour two today, I went through all the different bail bond companies in Atlanta that he might want to have on speed dial to get him out of jail. Where I was... I was somewhere on Monday and some bozo came to me in a public setting with their phone on speaker. I'm thinking I might have been at the drugstore. I don't want to hear your conversations on speakerphone. But this person comes up near me. No, I was at a restaurant. That's where I was. And I was waiting to get my food. And and, uh, they come up next to me with their phone on speaker and I could hear that computerized voice that you get when you call a lot of places and it's like hello thanks for calling whatever but this person says on the phone this computerized voice says will you take the call from the so and so county jail and this person got a phone call next to me from somebody in jail I guess they wanted them to come get them out I'm not sure but uh, haven't had that happen to me before with a conversation with a jail person while I'm eating my uh, delicious food. But yes, Trump now going to surrender Thursday following Wednesday's Republican presidential debate of which he will not be part of in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. A six-year-old South Carolina girl has saved her younger sister from drowning in Blythewood is where this happened. That's a feel-good story here across the South on this Tuesday edition. How about this story from Georgia? A Georgia County Sheriff has now resigned his position in Bleckley County. And the reason he had to do this, Sheriff Cootie, Christopher Cootie, you got cooties, Cootie. Bleckley County Sheriff Christopher Cootie resigned after he was at a Georgia Sheriff's Association convention in Atlanta. And while at the convention, he went to the bar, and guess who was at the bar? Judge Glenda Hatchett. The reality TV judge. She was at the bar. He sat down beside her. And he groped her. He touched her breast. And he's now pleaded guilty to a misdemeanor charge of sexual battery in Cobb County State Court. He's resigned to Governor Brian Kemp of Georgia. And now he's on probation and has other legal issues. But this sheriff of Georgia pleading guilty to groping Judge Hatchett in Georgia at this sheriff's convention. Hmm. I wonder if she's going to bring that up on her TV show anytime soon. And also want to let you know that we've got to give the band Metallica a lot of love. They've recently made a major donation to the Tarrant Area Food Bank in North Texas as they were in the Dallas area over the weekend, played gigs at AT&T Stadium Friday and Sunday. And Metallica, the Grammy Award-winning rock band, the heavy metal rockers, given $35,000 to the food bank there in North Texas, and they've given a lot of money. 
through the last uh, little bit. They've donated a $200,000 grant for the Maui Strong Fund to help wildfire victims in recent weeks. So kudos to Metallica for their incredible patronage across the South and across the nation. We'll salute Metallica here on the Y'all Show. When we come back, we're going to salute Jerry Short. He is our Takapola storyteller. And when he comes, when we come back with Mr. Short, he's going to talk about how 2024's presidential race reminds him a whole lot of the wild and unfortunate scene in 1968 when LBJ decided not to run. And then you had characters like McCarthy and Nixon and Kennedy all involved. We'll have a ride down 1968's way when the Y'all Show Tuesday edition comes back. It is the Y'all Show. We're back here on this Tuesday edition, and it's always fun when Tuesdays show up because we get a chance to talk to the Takapola storyteller, Jerry Short. We are the program all about the South, and Tuesdays equal Jerry's appearance here on the Y'all Show. And hello, Jerry. I hope you had a very, very good week, sir. Hey, John. Yeah, it's been pretty good. Uh, Lost a member of my family. Uh, kind of extended, but uh, other than that, uh, gentleman made it to 96. So I'm, I hope I can make that many more. That'd give me about what 30 more. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that would be good. But uh, sorry for your loss, any, there. Thank you, man. He was a good guy, he really was. Yeah. And um, anyway, what what have you been doing in all this hot weather? Well, I, I've been sitting at home dodging the sunshine this week it's it's a little toasty out there and i'm getting ready for the big republican presidential debate which is going down in wisconsin wednesday and president trump says he's not going to be there do you think that's a good move by donald j trump well i thought about it early i didn't want him to debate early because you know you hate to see a guy that's running 60 something percent above the rest of the field in the republicans uh side of the uh, ledger, but uh, the more I think about it, and you hate you hate for him to have to step up to the uh, podium against somebody with 3% and 2% and 5%. Well, you got DeSantis that's coming on pretty strong. Uh, well, I say coming on pretty strong. One time he was like 20-something. I think he's down to about 18%. But it should give him a chance if the if whoever is, uh, I know this is on Fox News, this uh, debate, which is a little bit unusual. They didn't carry any of the ones uh, in 20. But um, anyway, no, I don't think Fox carried any. But, you know, I know they didn't. Well, that's, now let me take that back. I think uh, they did, but the gentleman didn't quite uh, ask the questions like I would have thought he would have. And so it didn't go over too good. Uh, uh, it seemed like he wouldn't let... Uh, Donald Trump talk about some things with his son that he was involved in. Wasn't that a Chris um, Wallace? 
that was exactly who that was. It was Chris Jr. You know, he had a daddy that was also in the yeah. olden days, also a reporter. Yeah. Mike Wallace, of course, Trump, I think he mm-hmm. said maybe in that debate that he was no Mike Wallace. But that was That's that exactly wasn't a Republican. Right. That wasn't obviously a pro- Republican. Debate. No, that was the big one. That, that was the big one. Yeah, that was, that was him and Biden, right? And this is strictly only Republicans. So is the question that you asked me, uh, what did I think about should he be appearing in it? And after deep thought, that uh, I've analyzed it from one end to the other, top to bottom, and I'm 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 at the point now that. I don't think he needs to miss any more, but I believe I would miss this because you've got so many people that's going to be involved in it. It really is it's immaterial to what they have and what they've got to offer. And then you've got some hit people in it like Chris Christie out in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, why do you want to face people that are going to be just throwing darts at you when that's not necessary? So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of glad he's not going to be in it. Uh, but I think from now on, he's going to have to be in it. It's going to be interesting to see what the polls have to say when they come out after the debate and we find out, hey, you know, uh, DeSantis came up from X, from 18% to 26 or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, then you start to worry. you got to start weeding out some of these 3 and 2 and 4 and 8% people. So uh, that could do it. You know, the debate could help Trump in that way because it's going to get down to a two-man Republican race, I believe. Yeah. And it needs to do it sooner. And, you know, we're still looking at over a year. And uh, that's a long time in politics. Yeah. And, uh, and in fact, Trump's got the, he's got the ability to be a master programmer. He's got the ability to be a master counter-programmer. So while this debate's going on Fox, which he's not got a, a necessarily a wonderful relationship with the Fox network these days, he's got two opportunities to counter-program those, po- those folks up on stage. And one opportunity is to release that interview that he's already done with Tucker Carlson. And that's, that's right. that one's ready to go. And I don't know where it's going to be unveiled, but it very, very well could come out during this debate Wednesday evening. But the other counter-programming, Jerry, tell me about this one. Donald Trump's got to show up at a jail in Atlanta in the next couple of days if he hasn't already shown up and turn himself yeah. in. And so... Well, we don't we don't, we don't like that at Fulton County, uh, Georgia, in the heart of uh, Atlanta, uh, where he carried uh, only 26% of the vote in 20. So... Uh, you know, obviously it's going to be just about impossible to get a fair trial. Yeah, but the and, point is uh, he could show up at that jail right in the middle of the Republican And be place. arrested. Yeah. Oh, and and yeah. Every, every network but Fox would be glued on that, and and he's counter-programming. It works out pretty well for him. Yeah, well, I think he, he's, and he suppose, they may, uh, they may spend a lot of that uh, Tucker Carlson interview also. You know, you never know about something like that. And that'll be, you know, if I was going to sit down and watch both of them, I'd probably watch a Tucker Carlson because my mind is already made up. They're not going to change my mind. I'm not going to be for for Haley or I'm not going to be for, uh, uh, I'm not going to be for DeSantis. I mean, I ain't got anything against DeSantis, but Florida kind of makes itself. You know, people are moving to Florida and industries are moving to Florida. Mm-hmm. because of the climate as much as anything else. 
But I've spent, I just got back before part of that long ago. And I don't see a bit of difference in it and poor old number 50 last in the nation of Mississippi that I live in. So, uh, matter of fact, I'd just, I'd rather be here, I think, than in Florida, except for if I was going to lay on the beach all day. <laughs> in fact, uh, I don't plan on doing that anymore. I've had my, had my all days on the beach, but, uh, DeSantis and him, I think, will break and be a two-man race to the finish line. And I'm looking forward to seeing how that goes. And Trump's going to, obviously, I mean, you know, he's going to drop down some. Even if he has 60%, we're talking 60% Republicans, okay? Mm-hmm. We're not talking nationwide. Even though uh, there wasn't that many that spread the difference last year with him. And, I mean, two, uh, three years ago now, I'm a, with him and Biden, there wasn't that many spread uh, different. But he's got to have more than 60% Republicans, obviously. He can't be some of these, hey, I'm against him just because he's Trump type people. Like, you know, I hate Donald Trump. Uh, I'm not a mega guy. I don't, you know, I'm done make America great again guy. It's, you know, I just don't like Trump. So I either won't show up and won't turn out and or something like that. That kind of worries me too. A third party coming in there. I think we have a professor, gentlemen, that's a third party candidate. That'd be Cornell had, West. Cornell West, absolutely, he's a professor. And, uh, you know, he don't have to pull many, but, you know, he can pull 2%, could be the difference in the election. And I'm not sure Biden will be the opposition either. You know, I'm hearing a lot of rumors and a lot of things about about that and so I don't uh, you know I don't know who they would get because I know they don't want that vice president that they have now in Harris uh, the Democrats don't so I wouldn't expect I wouldn't expect that it's going to be you know I don't know if Biden can physically hold up to it you know last time he was able because of COVID he was able to dang, just keep a low profile as they like to say on TV he stayed in his basement mm-hmm and so he actually didn't run, but the, that, uh, as, as Trump would call it, that uh, China, uh, China uh, virus, virus yeah. that's the one that uh, probably 10% of that helped uh, Biden win the election. It hadn't have been for a virus. And the way the economy was going at that time, you got to look at that also. You know, the economy was really rolling. Mm-hmm. But now we've got things so messed up. If, how can you keep Biden in with the things that are going on with Hunter, his son, and all the proof has been on the money that they've, they've brought in and spread around their whole family? Even the children have gotten money from uh, other countries and uh, Russia and Ukraine and places like that. So, you know, they, people aren't going to forget all that kind of stuff. So I feel like that uh, that's going to play a big role. So that may eliminate Biden if the Democrats, right now they haven't woke up. They think they can win with him. Well, they think he, you know, he's that grandfather image type. Yeah. yeah. Jerry Short, the Takapola storyteller, our special guest here on Tuesdays. And we're talking modern politics instead of going back in history with Jerry. However, we're about to change that, Jerry, because right. you've, already, you've already hinted that perhaps there's a movement to replace Biden at the top of the ticket in 2024. And we could easily go back in history to the year 1968 and we've got a similar situation here jerry 
because yeah, in 1968 well. there was a lot of chaos. Of course, the Vietnam War was right. was raging, and civil rights was the topic, and all the other rights yeah. of the world were being uh, posed and hoisted in man, front of everybody at that man time. Man was getting ready to land on the moon. It was a terrible I mean, time. Can I wasn't around, but I think you were. Um, uh, barely, you know. You were barely there. <laughs> But I didn't have a diaper on, but I was around. The, the big thing that happened as far as the presidential election of 1968 was that the presumed incumbent for the Democrats decided in late March of 68, just before the Wisconsin primary, you know what? I, I'm not going to run. And, and if my party yeah. nominates me, I will not run. And that was yeah. Lyndon Baines Johnson. He decided to get out. And that was, again, in March of 68, just months before the general election months before the Democratic Convention. In fact, this convention was where the Democrats ended up picking Hubert Humphrey to be their nominee, who was Humphrey LBJ's vice president during those years. The happy warrior. The happy happy warrior. warrior. And I believe he's from Minnesota. But prior to uh, Humphrey getting in there to be the election, you had people like McCarthy, who was really, really... Really out left wing, so far out... You couldn't even touch him. Well, he was running, and then you also had others like RFK. He decided to get into the race. Well, he got assassinated. And then he was assassinated in early June of 1968. But that was already after LBJ had said he would not be running. But the, the the main thing is that LBJ was the likely guy that's going to win the Democratic nomination and, and be able to go for a second full term in office and in the 1968 election, and he chose not to run. So, 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 therefore, Jerry, Biden can yeah. do the same thing. Biden yeah. still has plenty of time to, to look like he's running, but it could be early 2024 before he decides, you know what, I'm old, i got a son that's got a lot of problems, things aren't going good, I don't need this. Y'all leave me out of well, this. Well, you know, there was, there was a lot of similarities here. Today. I don't think Biden would say, y'all, y'all leave me out of this, but he, he could say something along those lines. Well, if you look, you look at LBJ in 68, the war was not going well. Him and Westmoreland, his uh, general in, in Vietnam, they were all just saying, kind of cooking the books, so to speak. Yeah. And, and people didn't know it, but it wasn't going well at all. But I remember those days pretty close. And I don't think, I think the Democrats realized as much that he could not win. Mm-hmm. I don't think he could have won. Now, they hadn't come to that realization with Biden yet, I don't believe. I still think they think he can win because they think that Trump's going to, well, they've got Trump in a corner, you know, with all these four indictments. Well, you know, if you're trapped in a corner like that and you're going to be, I'm telling how many loggers he's got involved in this thing. I think 40-something. And uh, they're going to have to come on, and they're going to have to be in court here and there, and before the primaries and during the other major debates. All this is going to be going on. But they think they've got Trump trapped. And to me, you know, it's going to take a businessman. And I don't know who the Democrats have got on their side that is a businessman enough to know what to do about this country and then they're letting the, the military go woke and that's not very pretty and that's starting to get public and what they've done with education is starting to get there's so many things out there 
that as you go back and as you were repar- you were comparing it to uh, 68 with LBJ, I think the only difference that I see in it is LBJ was so unpopular. He really wasn't really unpopular because of the Vietnam War. He had done absolutely nothing. He had he had he had, he had really brought it forward. You know, he had he had put it on fire. He, Almost like the fire they had in Maui. You know, he had put the he put a blaze behind the Vietnam War. But then politically he would pull back and pull off. And the American people were getting doggone tired of that. But we we weren't used to losing wars. We didn't we didn't necessarily lose the Korean War. You know, we've got the thirty eighth parallel but we didn't we didn't lose you know, we had a treaty mm-hmm. with uh, North Korea and South Korea. But uh that that wasn't like a real loss. You know, we just quit fighting and, and had a treaty. And people, they weren't going to do Vietnam the same way. And LBJ had Vietnam really, really messed up. I know LBJ, his first job was a school teacher in Petula, Texas, <laughs> on the Nupus River. And that's what he come from. And it, his background was a little bit shady also, kind of like today's. And he took over the media in the state of Texas. They bought up all the television stations. Thanks to his wife. Had Lady Bird. Huh? Thanks to his wife's money, by the way. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, LBJ. Uh, thanks to Lady Bird, mm-hmm. as they like to refer to her as. They bought up all the media. They had all the control of that. And they was pushing they was pushing politics to the left. That's where it really started, that the media, I don't know if journalism schools were starting to teach that kind of stuff or not, but it seemed like it kind of got... A little bit twisted in the in the or in that mid sixty part of the of our time in that decade anyway. So uh, my opinion is on this since you ask is that uh, you know I'm not really sure that Biden will be there. I think that they're right now looking for a replacement, but I don't think they have it in 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 hand yet. So I think look for that. Yeah, and but another they go on to debate. Another figure from that 1968 Democratic side of things was the senator from the Christy Nome state of South Dakota. How about George McGovern? Yeah, that's it. Now see, you know, and he come on back and uh, he tried to run against other people. Also. In '72, but in '68 yeah. he also was a Democratic contender before ultimately at the convention. Hubert Humphrey would win that. Now, the convention of 68 in Chicago goes down as the most chaotic and uh, violent convention oh, we've remember, ever seen. Do, do you think we have the potential for something like that again? You know, uh, it depends. If there again, it's going to depend if Biden is your candidate or if Trump is your candidate. And uh, one of those guys will probably be your candidate. And it depends on that kind of situation. I don't know how much security. You just see all the security they put in Fulton uh, mm-hmm. uh, County, Georgia, and nothing happened. Yeah. You know, the Republican side, they do not come back at you in that form like the Democratic side do. But Jerry, the Democratic sides are out there to win at all costs any way they can. Due to the China virus in 2020, there really was no heated contention on Republican or Democratic sides. The audience were muted in many ways in 2020. Right. Going back to 2016 right. in Cleveland, a guy named Jerry Short went up there 
looking right. to observe a fight, and I don't know how contentious it was, but you were there in Cleveland in 2016, and I think we're going to have something kind of similar to that, maybe a little bit more heated debate in 2024 as opposed to 2020s. My yeah, own. I had I had kind of gotten up. I didn't. I was kind of. I, I was a, a cruise from Texas guy to start with, but I was working out in Texas on the border. Mm-hmm. But as he as he as he got to coming on down, I become a Trump guy. Yeah. So I wanted to go on to the uh, to the Republican convention in Cleveland, Ohio, and uh, follow him. But so, you, you uh, didn't see any kind of big violence or anything, did you? None whatsoever. We walked the streets outside, going into the uh, into the arena. Never worried about anything. Matter of fact, uh, me and a friend of mine that went up there together, he uh, he stopped and talked to a gentleman that you see on Fox as a as a semi regular, and we just stopped right in the street as he was going in the arena and talked to him. Hmm. You know, and he talked back. So uh, you know, it was it was real peaceful. Yeah. It, it was no problems like like we could have. Now we could have in, in the future in 2024. One other weird twist: 1968, of course, after LBJ decided not to run, a name popped up that I think probably would have taken the mantle and gotten that nomination: Robert F. Kennedy. And here we are, all these years later. It's Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Also, this year in the 24 cycle, running for president on the Democratic side. A weird twist of fate yeah. connecting this election to 1968. Yeah, you know, the Kennedys, uh, I, I, I didn't happen to be a big Kennedy backer. Hmm. But in today's climate, they would be conservative. Really? Compared to, you know, compared to what we have as Democrats today. And, uh, of course, I think, uh, you know, that was a family thing with Joseph Kennedy, mm-hmm. the patriarch of the family. He uh, wanted his sons to be in politics, and he wanted them to the top of the politics. So they started working that thing right after World War II. And, you know, they made a movie about uh, uh, John Kennedy, JFK, and they went into all that kind of stuff. And they kind of built that, uh, they built that around him, you know, his, you know, they put a greatness around the gentleman, kind of like that movie is out now they got a problem with, so. Blind side. Oh, yeah. And, you know, it's not everything as as you see it as Hollywood makes it. Mm-hmm. And they they did the Kennedys the same way, which he came proof with way Teddy finished his career. Right. You know, Teddy was as ruthless as he could be, but he was the first one that I remember ever start dodging bullets like the Biden family is now, mm. or as they, some of them call them, the corrupt crime family. Yeah. You know, but. uh it was kind of that way with the Kennedys. You remember JFK's situation with Marilyn Monroe, they always talked about. Yeah. And uh, they talk about having different hit men that came over, maybe on JFK instead of James Earl Ray. I mean, uh, yeah. And uh, Oswald, I mean, excuse me, James Earl Ray is a different uh, assassin. Yeah, different but, assassination uh, of the 1960s. Mm-hmm. Jerry, we got to wrap and that up. And all happened in the same time. Yeah, we got to wrap up with you, Jerry, but I do want to ask you real quick as we wrap up. You did mention about LBJ in the 1960s, how you and others were not a fan of his primarily because of what was going on in Vietnam. Did you hold something against him because of some of the civil rights changes? Yeah, that- I think we did because, you know, he, he started bringing out... Uh, uh, 
free food stamps and things that uh, everybody didn't agree with. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you can look at a uh, you can look at a chain of uh, grocery stores today, and uh, most of them in small communities, they just had a little uh, little one room grocery store, and they made so much money off of food stamp government food stamps. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, conservative people. We want to earn our own way, do our own thing, and and make and create our own businesses. Where on the other side, they're all government, and that's the way LBJ was. You know, he was all government. And uh, I remember Lady Bird; she had this Beautify America uh, program, where in front of a junkyard, she'd build a high screen fence that would uh, block the view. If you had a junkyard or something, you know, that was one of her projects. And everything they did involved spending money by the government. And uh, except this bunch we got today, they won't even let you build a wall down on the Rio Grande and on down through Arizona and on into California. They won't let you build a wall to keep the immigrants out. And I think they're even illegal immigrants, let me put it that way. Well, thanks to LBJ, Lady Bird Johnson, we can now maybe use her philosophy on the border with Mexico. Look, Mexico is an ugly place. We just need to big old, build a big old screen to have us not have to look out over that Rio Grande and see Mexico. Do you think that'll fly? Well, you know, the worst part of Mexico that I've ever been around is El Paso as you look across it, uh, Boreas. And uh, it's uh, like a different world. It's not even on the same planet. <laughs> you know, I know the uh, Pope had a... Uh, uh, revival, as we would call it, as a uh, yeah. as a uh, Protestant, but uh, he did that on purpose, I think, where you could see the poverty across the river and on the hills, on the mountainside, on the on on the American side. Mm-hmm. It was a different world, and showed up worldwide as he did his mass over there. So you know things like that, and you know some parts of Mexico are okay, but I've I've been across that border many a time. And just about ever crossing from uh, Bisbee to Nogales to Yuma to uh, California, north of San Diego. I mean, north, south of San Diego, Juarez, or somewhere like that, or uh, Brownsville, or uh, okay. the we got, we got you there, Hank Snow. We got you. You know, uh, yeah, yeah. So you know, it's some some of the the people, the Mexican people. They were okay. They weren't. They're not farthest. Yeah. We don't know what we're being invaded by. To tell you right. the truth, Jerry, you know, yeah, we, we, we flat have run out of time with you. But again, there are definite comparisons of what's going on in 2024 to what's going on in 1968 or what went on back then when Jerry was crawling around in his diapers. Jerry. Oh well, maybe maybe I had short pants on. Okay. <laughs> the Takapola storyteller. Thank you so much All for. Right always coming on and sharing memories of yesteryear and beyond and we look forward to catching right. up with you again You're next welcome. Tuesday here on the Y'all Show. Alright, All right. we'll be fired up. Ready to go. Alright. When we come back All on right. Y'all, we have got a preview of the 2023 Clemson Tigers football season. We'll hear from Dabo Swinney and tell you about running down the hill and that orange pole and so much more that goes on on a game day in Clemson, South Carolina. That's our latest stop on our tour across the southeast. We're just days away from college football getting underway. And today it's all about the Clemson Tigers. And we'll have a little tiger rag coming your way right after this break.
right, get ready, y'all. It's Clemson Tiger time on the Y'all Show. Little C-L-E-M-S-O-N coming up. C-L-E-M-S-O-N. We're back on the Y'all Show, wrapping up this Tuesday edition with a spotlight on the orange. It's Clemson University, Clemson, South Carolina, South Carolina's agriculture school, right on the banks of Lake Hartwell in the beautiful upstate of South Carolina. And we're going to spend the next few minutes getting you ready for this very powerful Clemson football team that has won two national championships in the last few years under the direction of one Dabo Sweeney got a text in during that break from Clemson Cleve, who is listening in, and we appreciate Clemson Cleve for the text. He says, don't let your next segment break your jaw trying to disguise your disdain. Look, I'm a proud South Carolinian that grew up not liking Clemson, but you got to tip your hat to Clemson, the little uh, cow college, what it's been able to do the last few years with two national championships. You cannot uh, deny this is one of the best teams in college football and so yeah Clemson Cleve thank you for listening and then uh, we'll talk about your Tigers here for just a few minutes so Clemson last year was not the best of years for Clemson they did not make it to the playoff I'm shame 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 on Clemson for not making it to the college football playoff they did win another ACC title there in Tiger Town they uh, unfortunately for them lost to their in-state arch rival the Gamecocks in the season finale. Then they went on to the ACC championship, knocked off North Carolina, picked up another big ACC title for the program. Then they got to go to the Orange Bowl where the Tennessee Volunteers destroyed them in Miami Gardens. So again, last year was not one of the best years in Clemson football history, but still for most colleges, they'd take that any day. Conference title and playing in a major bowl game, yeah, but not at Clemson. The standard at Clemson a bit higher. This year, Clemson starts its season on the road in Durham as they'll have a game on that Labor Day night. On Monday, September 4th, it's the Tigers and the Duke Blue Devils. Duke, a very good team in 2022 with their first-year coach who led them to a very, I think it was a nine-win season the Blue Devils had last year. Clemson and Duke, is that's the week one matchup. The Buccaneers of Charleston Southern come up from Ladson and the Buccaneers and Clemson are Clemson's home opener there at Memorial Stadium. The Florida Atlantic Owls are game number three on the schedule, September 16th. Clemson will be hosting the Florida State Seminoles on September 23rd. This year, the ACC does not have divisions, so no more coastal division uh, chaos with Clemson and FSU. They're just playing. They're just suiting up and playing. Clemson will be on the road at Syracuse on September 30th, a place they've lost in recent years. Clemson will have Wake Forest coming in for a game on October 7th. They'll be at the at Miami to take on the Hurricanes October 21st. The Textile Bowl will be renewed in Raleigh at Carter-Finley as Clemson and NC State are together Halloween weekend. Notre Dame comes to Clemson on November 4th. Clemson's rivalry with Georgia Tech renewed along the banks, banks of Lake Hartwell. It's that military appreciation and purple out day, November 11th, when Georgia Tech and Clemson 
get-together. Clemson has its last home game on November 18th when Clemson and North Carolina get together. And then that Palmetto Classic will be at Williams-Brice Stadium in Columbia this year. It's Clemson and the South Carolina Gamecocks on November 25th. Dabo Sweeney, a.k.a. William Christopher Sweeney, is the 53-year-old head coach of Clemson, the guy who grew up in the Birmingham area and played for Gene Stallings at the University of Alabama as a walk-on, has done one incredible job at Clemson University as its head coach, a position that he's had since 2009. Dabo is 161-39 and as a head coach in college football and has won national championships in the years 2016 and 2018. He's already picked up eight ACC titles and is a three-time Paul Bear Bryant Award winner. One of the best in the biz, William Christopher Dabo Sweeney, head coach of the Clemson Tigers. Sweeney was talking about his team just the other day after a practice. Let's go to Tiger Town and hear what the guy that's always got a good quote coming our way, Dabo Sweeney's thoughts on his 2023 Clemson football team. This is a, a game that you practice a lot more than you play. I mean, you get to play 15 days if it's perfect, right? So you've got to love practice. And it's what you practice against is, is what prepares you. And, you know, I, I really believe one of the reasons we've been, you know, so consistent for a long, long time around here is because it practices hard. And, you know, it's just good competition. You get exposed on the practice field. So you have to come. You can't take a day off. And that, that competitive, uh, that competitiveness, you know, drives performance and uh, forces guys to, I mean, they got to get better. Uh, so, you know, we're really fortunate that way because we can challenge each other on both sides of the ball. Uh, you got to get better. I mean, Sheridan's a guy now. He's, he's on, this is, this is his fifth year, and he's seen a lot of dudes over his time. So he's got a, he's got a, a, a visual in his head of what it looks like. He's been covering guys here for a long time, and it's not easy. Uh, and vice versa, you know, with the receivers going against the DBs here. So makes everybody better. Clemson's head football coach, Dabo Sweeney, again, talking about practice. They're talking about practice. Well, practice makes perfect, and Clemson under Sweeney has done one heck of a job on the gridiron. As he is, I think it's now his 15th season he's getting ready to start. Again, that opener for Clemson at Durham and the Duke Blue Devils on Labor Day night. That's your primetime game. I guess that would make the second straight year Clemson has been your primetime Labor Day night contest because I think in 2022 that was their game at Georgia Tech at Mercedes-Benz Stadium, which was predominantly an orange setting there in Atlanta for that contest last year, this year taking it to Durham. Now, solid orange is certainly a tradition at Clemson, and every Friday, Clemson students, faculty, staff, and alumni everywhere wear that Clemson orange in a show of unity and pride, and they love that Clemson orange, which technically I still remember this from a child. Clemson's official colors are orange and northwestern purple and so yeah but it's mostly orange that's what clemson's known for running down the hill is a great tradition at clemson known as the most exciting 25 seconds in college football running down the hill began out of practicality the football team dressed at the field house and then ran 
from there to the gate and down the grassy hill onto the field at the start of each game. It's a tradition that you just don't see quite done anywhere else, running down the hill at Clemson. Howard's Rock, when they get ready to run down that hill, they touch Howard's Rock there at Death Valley. The late Frank Howard brought that rock from California and put it on a pedestal in 1966. And Clemson players rub that thing for good luck, and then they run down that hill. And when they run down that hill, they get to enjoy the sounds of the song that I'm about to play again for you as it's the fight song of Clemson University, a little Tiger Rag, and Tiger Rag's going to get us out of here on this Tuesday edition. Tiger Rag, been played a long time by Clemson fans, and they love to play this, the song that they call the song that shakes the Southland is Tiger Rag. And there in Clemson, you can go to the SO Club and check out some great Clemson memorabilia and the great little small town in the upstate of South Carolina. Clemson University, congratulations on your success, and they are our featured school today. Join us on Wednesday, y'all show. We will take you to Norman. Oklahoma is our spotlight school Wednesday. Until we see you then, go Tigers, and thanks for listening to the y'all show. (laughs) 